for counting that in the Hebrew way. I was going to say, you got about... It, I, got, I got until sundown. You got here. only about uh, 30 80. minutes or so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little one before time. Apparently yeah. my Hebrew birthday is, is a little five. Is that right? Well, either way, um, today or tomorrow, still going to be a Rosh Kodesh baby. Mm -hmm. so that's, uh, that's pretty cool. And on a month that's kicking off uh, tshuva, that's... Uh, that's got to scar you for life. I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm a guy who's all about repentance. Thanks for coming. All right. So, um, 1 Corinthians 7. What did you, uh, I, I'm sorry, I got your your study guide to you. Doing the best I can. I was just a little busy. Um, next week's lesson is 87% done. You'll have it by lunch tomorrow. So that's uh, that's where I'm at there. So yeah, you want to go a whole week, um, but that that whole First Corinthians seven passage there in the beginning, one through five. Um, what you what you think of my my take on the Greek there? Concerning your mat, the the matters about which you wrote, it is wise for a man not to touch a woman. Haptic, I mean, that's haptic feedback on your iPhone is what it's all about. Haptimize the Greek there, so it really is touch. Now, the, the translators, of course, tried to make it fit better with the next couple of sentences, which obviously are about uh, uh, sexual immorality and so forth, but I can, uh, I can remember the, the times that I was with uh, Orthodox men and, you know, Gentile woman will shove out her hand and shake his hand, and they just—they're not going to shake, you know, wave or something. So, uh, quick. It's—it's neat to kind of encapsulate that fence as a tradition, so that you don't run the risk of offense, you know, because the, the whole idea—if you try to take it like so the you just use fence and offense in the same. Well, yeah. Just, it, I'm just making sure okay. that the people that, that are listening. Understand that the offense could not be an offense because it was a fence, not a commandment. Yeah, so right. Well, so because because if you were only you know if you tried to look at this like oh okay well so you know the translators try to interpret this as like sexual morality so it's like so you know don't don't touch anybody if you're attracted to them you know you could kind of spin that off in a bunch of ways but it's great Judaism just they they care they take care of that it's like a blanket statement it's like it doesn't matter if she's eighty. Or twelve, you know, just, just, just not going to do that. Just not going to do it. Yeah, you know, and so you don't even run into issues with potentially offending people That's or right. whatever. You know, it's, and, it's and interesting. It's a, the NIV actually has that translation. They 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 say don't touch. I don't know if they use wisdom. That's seven one. Uh, NASB, yeah. which is what I'm reading, is don't do not touch. Do not touch. Yeah. So the English Standard tries to grab the thematic metaphor and get the sexual immorality for the mm -hmm. next verses or two and bring it up. So that's 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 where that's at. Um, so but, is, is that so then how do how do we view this statement from Shaul? Is this is this a commandment? Or is this just a good idea? Well, of course of course it's a good idea, but how how do we how do we view that? I view it as a good suggestion. I wouldn't say it's a commandment, right? 
that's the question, isn't yeah. it? Uh, I went I went through this a little bit in a, in a guide if you get a chance to read it. it. I mean, like nine or ten times just in this one letter. Uh, ten times. you got to go into Second Corinthians as well. He actually goes out of his way to say, this is me saying this, not the Lord. This uh, I recommend this. Uh, not that I'm saying it in the spirit, but so he he hedges the bet every We're time. Saying you don't have to do this. Yeah, well, well he, he doesn't. Did. He doesn't exactly put it that way, but yeah, that's. I mean, that's. He's making it clear. This is not a command. Well, why would he have to do that? Not to add anything. He didn't want to add anything to the scripture, but more specifically, writing to this group. Because he has authority. He has the authority over them, as the one who bore them, if you will, and they're not Jews. So they haven't been raised in the Torah, right? So he's got to carefully draw that line between this is what God said, this is what I'm saying. So take this as a strong recommendation. It'd be good if you didn't do this kind of thing. I think it's interesting he said, because uh, he didn't want to add to the scripture, but I mean, would that be in context of knowing that eventually his words are going to become scripture? Ooh. Well, he probably wouldn't be I mean, yeah, thinking along those lines when he's writing a letter. Because if we say that this is inspired with the same authority as Torah, yeah. right, which is Christianity's position, right. then is it just a here's a good idea, or is this something we should actually practice as practice God. as if it is required? Verse 6, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. And he goes off. And it's that same kind of phrasing that he uses um, in verse 12, for example. Is or, verse 6 referring to what he just said or what he's about to say? Um, no, I think it's about what he's about to say. Um, okay. Which, cause does that mean he's making... So the question is... Well, no, 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 actually, but he says, 7, 6, I think, is what he just said. Okay. Well, he's saying, actually, I think he's still, yeah, because he's saying, I wish that all were as I myself am. So he's wishing. In 10, to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, right? And then later, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, right? So he's, he's I think, trying desperately throughout the, the letter to make clear who's saying what and how you should treat this. Is this offense or is this a command? If the if, if the it was good, it is good for a man not to have. If that was meant to be a command, I don't think he would have said it. It is good. Yeah, I think he just would have said. This is a man do should this. not have. Yeah, right. Yeah, because he uses that style of language later. I mean, even right there, um, in three. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, NASB says the husband must fulfill his duty. Likewise, also the wife to her husband. Yeah, so do not deprive one another. So yeah, the language later is a little bit more direct. Right. But but at the same time, I mean, it is within the context of all those other things that we would consider commands. You know, we would definitely consider. I mean, this that's like standard. You're you're getting married. This is like your by law requirement. That's what you sign in your kajuba. It's the whole conjugal rights thing, so that's definitely a command, you know. So, so it's it's interesting that it's sort of intermixed with what we would describe as commands. Sure, but I, I think it's important that we not confuse why we consider those commands in other contexts, but might not for these specific ones, because it may say it elsewhere, like in the Torah, right? Right. 
Um, so I don't, I don't know if he's... Although, in the context of, like, um, you know, not, you know, not, not uh, holding conjugal rights, in the context of the ketubah, that's a one-way covenant from the husband to the wife. Correct. Right. Right. Everything in that ketubah is, there is no obligation to the wife, uh, from the wife, from any contractual standpoint of the ketubah. Right, yeah. right. But, but he turns it around. Here he's yeah. he's saying, not only does the husband uh, have the obligation. The, the obligation to that, the wife also to the husband. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and well, to your point, that's an excellent point. Where else do we see this whole idea of not touching a woman? I mean, the Jews don't get it from here, obviously. Exactly. Right, and, and that's my point. And so Shomer Nagia, that whole concept is is born in Torah. So, so, my thought on this whole letter so far is we have a, a non-Jewish, primarily non-Jewish community that is, has grown up in what, a San Francisco type place. Um, it's not nice. It is pagan. It is heathen. There's a whole lot of idolatry going on. They have two temples there, non-Jewish temples. Um, and to your point earlier, hopefully they're learning the Torah as they hear it each Shabbat and applying it in their lives. And over time, they'll apply more. But he seems to, not unlike the way the, the folks in the Jerusalem Council did, starting to give them those fences that will help them move forward in their lives and, and build that day-to-day -day holiness. And I think he's getting it from his own background. Well, and this makes sense to try to explain to the Corinthians. You know, he's not saying like, I'm gonna take, you know, the next two weeks to go through track day and you know, Yeah. You know, like he he's just basically summarizing that that whole concept right. by saying, you know what, Let, let's just get the, all that off the table. Like just uh, it's it is good for a man not to touch a woman. There we go. I'll explain everything <laughs> later. That kind of thing. So, yeah. What, what do you think the question was? It starts out about the things he wrote. Now he seems to be pegging them off one by one. What, what do you suppose the question was? I truly couldn't figure this one out because I mean, it sounded like you'd be an adolescent kid, you know. Well, no, so you have to you also have to pair inappropriate. You sort of have to pair to what their question may have been with the fact that we already know that there was news of some impropriety going which, on, which we just had what Judge five exactly. Right? So, so it, whatever they wrote to him included news of maybe yeah, something yeah. that shouldn't be happening, yeah, yeah. but also potentially questions that may or may not have been related. Right, or you know, maybe that news could have that. come as a question. Hey, so and so is you know yeah, with yeah. so and so. So so how where, do you, where, how does that work? How do we or, stop this from happening? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Other yeah. other thoughts on that? Is that exactly, exactly what you're thinking? Yeah. No, nobody can hear you on the on the thought. I just want. I didn't. I didn't hear you. See, yeah. See. Closer. Stay closer. I remember I was standing inspection when I first joined the army, and evidently I had I had missed a whole line of 
hair, and it looked like I started a little Fu Manchu thing on one side. I do that on the back of my head all the time. Yeah. <laughs> this drill sergeant with the worst breath you can ever imagine got up in my face, and he must have been three, four millimeters from my nose. Alphabet, did you shave this morning? <laughs> yes, drill sergeant. Stand closer to the mirror. Good idea. Good sir. Idea. Oh, that sir. He was a sergeant. Yeah, that, that'll get you push-ups right off the bat. Okay. Good. That was good, guys. All right. Um, so just in verses 10 and on, uh, maybe almost to the back end of 7 there, what... Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on where he's going? It seems to be relationships, right? And in a lot of boy-girl type stuff. Did he miss anything? Or is, is he hitting it? Uh, he grabbed the married in 10 to the rest, I guess that's the unmarried. And how do you feel about, uh, about his concept? By the way, I neglected to say that, um, especially for those that are um, maybe new to the Torah, new to Christianity, new to Buddhism, or whatever it is you're into while you're listening, um, by and large, the modern church today believes that the gospel and acts are descriptive of history and the epistles of Paul and the other apostles are prescriptive. So their tendency is not to use the Torah for daily halakha, the walk of faith, but to use the epistles as their prescription for how to walk. So I don't think we're coming from the scriptures that way. We're using the Torah as our base. And in fact, one of the things that, that Greg and I started doing years ago was we read something in the apostolic scripture, Paul would say something. We can't be adding anything new. So we're looking at each other going, okay, so where did he get that out of the Torah? It's got to be in there, right? It's not in the Torah, it's got to be in the prophets as, as a, an expansion or an elucidation of what was already in the Torah. So where did he get it from? I'll tell you what, that's a great Bible study. But you know, you only go four or five verses a year. <laughs> so if it's prescriptive, then presumably, if you're single and you, you get saved, according to Paul, it would be best if you stayed single the rest of your life. I, if I'm reading If you have that gift. Yeah, if you don't. Gotta have the self control, right? So, so us, really, I was thinking their first pope, Peter, yeah. had a stepmother. So that would say that he was married, so all the other popes after him. Mother in law. Mother in law. Mother in law. Right. She was, he, yeah, but so he, the he was first married. pope had, you know, they played, you know, so he has a wife. But, but all the presumably popes, he, is, he was taken by Yeshua after he, before he, after he got married, presumably. Okay. Unless you think the wedding at Cana was actually Pete. Which is an interesting thing I've never heard before. So we'll have to talk about that. So, <laughs> so how do we? So here's a question: How do we reconcile? So here we have Shaul admonishing the 
community in Corinth to to not marry if they can, which we know would violate current Orthodox, which view. which would go against long-standing teaching, probably, probably all the way back all, to his own teacher. Sure, for sure. Um, that no, you know, it is a good thing to you know to for a man to find a wife, etc. Et so. Oh, you just, well, you just quoted scripture, not not Judaism. Okay. <laughs> okay. Which they agree with. Yeah, but Judaism is getting it all from scripture. Absolutely. So, um, so my point is, how then do we reconcile this admonishment that Shaul's making with that? Right. Because we know he won't violate the scripture, but could it possibly be that he was at this point, actually violating what would be the standing teachings of, of his day and even down to today. I mean, it's, you, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah of having kids unless you've had one of each. So, all right. I keep thinking about stuff like this through that lens that you had brought up a few classes ago, where you kind of introduced this possibility of maybe things could have actually happened. Maybe that would have been it, that like Yeshua would have returned and actually set up the kingdom at that point had people been ready. You know, just that whole concept. And that has helped me understand similar types of language, either from Paul or Peter, because there, there is this type of language almost where it's like, you know, the end is really close. So, because that's the, the how I read this. I, I read this like, Look, there's too much important stuff to do between now and the end. Like, just don't even bother. Like, we just, I mean, unless you're just raging with passion, like, let's just focus on what's happening right now, which is, like, the kingdom of heaven is in hand, basically. That was kind of the way that I read it. And so look, thinking about it through that lens and that being their potential mindset of, like, wow, it is in our hands that we could potentially bring back Messiah, like, really soon kind of makes sense. So, so, let's, so that's let's, exactly where I was going. Okay, so let's... It's, seven, it's let's, in this chapter, 731. So let's explore that a little bit far, farther. Where would Shaul have at least some other justification for that same sort of thinking? In, in other words, where else would there be an example of that? The the time was near for Messiah to come? Correct. Other than and, Peter and James? And, and it having an impact on changing of practice. So everybody's heard of the Essenes, right? Mm -hmm. sure. The Essenes were a, yeah, we, we could call them a doomsday Cult today, right? right? That's right. They they were Jews, but a lot of them were Kohanim, who got tired of all the corruption in Jerusalem and said, well, "That's it. We're out of here. We're going out. We're going out and get, we're going to set up camp in Qumran because lightning's about to strike here because you guys are all corrupt and whatever." And Mashiach's coming, and and the end is approaching, and what. As a result, what did they? What were they? They were a celibate sect yeah. of Judaism. 
Good. So you have a whole group of people who had a similar mindset, and there's evidence that, and, and when you look at some of the other teachings that are attributed to the Essenes, um, there's also some evidence that they heavily influenced Yochanan, the Immersa, and, um, and maybe even Yeshua, um, or maybe Yeshua was them, or sure. but there's some there's some alignment there yeah. um, because the other the other approach of the Essenes just in terms of Torah observance in general was if you're keeping the commandments okay that you want a brownie point you're supposed to do that right. you are you haven't you're not a true you're not really devoted to God unless you're going the extra mile unless you're going above and beyond what the what the kind of written Torah requires. Well, there's, um, there's two other places we see that same thing. The Master says the same thing to his disciples. Here's here's the the servant who if he works all day, he makes you know dinner for his master and does all that. You know, no brownie points. Right. You've only done what you've expected to do, right? Well, and and if you're unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, yeah. you're right. in a place in the kingdom. The second one would be, I mean, if we're looking at groups that grabbed onto this go above, go beyond, how about the Catholics? That's where the priesthood got that. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, right? yeah. They and did. the whole flash, you know. So, I mean, same deal. But you, but you have it with the Essenes, you have a group that obviously knew the Torah. Sure. And were extremely devout, who then began to say, "There is no need to 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 be fruitful and multiply, because it's obvious the end must because be the end of days is mm. imminent." And and that's almost verbatim <clears throat> what Paul says, right? Right. Um, uh, those who deal with the We're world as though they have no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. And <clears throat> Yeshua even says, is it, in, is it Matthew 24, or one of his, one of the... Uh, Luke 17, <clears throat> whatever. Yeah, whichever one it was. I mean, he kind of says, you know, the end's coming, you know. And, when when and, you, and you see you guys them circling Jerusalem, get out of town. And, and for all intents and purposes, their world did come to an end mm -hmm. in 70 of the common era. Sure. Yeah, and well, in, in 135, well, it was all done. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing left. Yep. It even says, um, you know, it'll be bad for women that are pregnant. Right. Pray that it doesn't not, happen not on the Sabbath. Not to say we don't have children anymore. Not pregnant, but. yeah. Good. Sorry. Right. It may have been an ex sort of an extreme teaching, but it was not outside the realm of practice within the Judaism of the day. Sure. And his his treatment of that tradition in, in how he describes that whether you're married or whether you're unmarried, both are sort of this gift from God, kind of makes it sound like he wasn't necessarily pushing that per se, but was acknowledging this potentially like you know, prevalent. Tradition. Well, I, I, I think I think when I read him, you know, through this, it comes back to the devotion issue, right? Mm -hmm. Let's face it, 
if I don't have to be preoccupied with caring for a wife and children, I have a lot more time to spend in study, prayer, and building the kingdom. Amen. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's just a fact. That's just a that's just a reality. So I think what he's saying is, if you can be like me, because a hundred percent of my time is devoted yeah. to advancing the kingdom of God on the earth, and, but I recognize that that's a tall order. Sure. And if you can't toe that line, that's fine too. I, I think if we look back to his history, what we read in the Book of Acts, it, it may have been that he leaned even more towards that when his life was turned upside down. Sure. Right? I mean, he was on the tra- yeah. fast track, at the feet of Gamaliel, no doubt gonna, he's a player, yep. smart guy, gonna get married, gonna be a part of San Probably Adrian. top bachelor in That's orthodox it, right? Judaism at that um, day. Yeah, right? right? Look at my people. Yeah, <laughs> All the, right? Every, on every Shadit sh- sh- list. He's there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and then, yeah. and then, boom. All that's irrelevant now. Exactly. And My life's changed. He's, he's a, a completely different track, and yeah, I, I can see where that would have turned him around and, and given him a completely different focus, not unlike yep. the Essenes had, not unlike, I mean, look at Yochanan. Where, where do you think he went when he went out into the wilderness? All by himself? You know, I personally think he spent time with the Essene community, mm-hmm. so, or with the community of Qumran, you know, whether that was really the Essenes or not. All right, so this is as, as dismal as can be because we're supposed to get some good stuff out of this unless you're planning on making a major change in your life. Actually, almost everybody's married except you single guys, right? Good. All right. <laughs> well, he's not against getting married because when he's writing Timothy, he says that the young widows should get married so they don't gossip and slander sure. and go about that. Sure. So that, yeah. yeah, so we're, we're okay, isn't it? Not, he's not anti-marriage. No, right. not at all. Not at all. He's, he's, we're, we're okay. In fact, he has probably some of the most beneficial and uplifting things to, to say about what you, you should act like and how you should approach yeah. marriage. Yeah, and, and some of his later letters yeah. to some First of the other and seven is the go-to. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was just going to say here, in 32, um, it's interesting how he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. And I think we all, men who are married, remember what it's like to be a single man and looking around and how easily your mind is swept up in the things that you want out of life. You want to have a wife. You want to have a relationship with a woman. And those things are easily clouded where everything else around you that you could be focusing on. I think, um, I'm not sure if it, what it's... Maybe you need shoes, right? Right. Uh, but also, what just came to mind is that it makes for good reason that in, I guess it would be in a shul or a temple, they have men and women are separated. Right. Right? Because even a married man, I told Christine whenever we were either engaged or courting, Very and I, her dad was still not letting her sit next to me, which really baffled me. But I told her, I said, I need you to sit behind me whenever I come for chakra services. I can't concentrate. And makes really good sense here. He's making, like, even if I'm totally interested in what I'm doing, because that is what I'm pursuing and what my mind thinks about, I'm completely taken away and distracted from the things that I could be focusing on. Yeah, sure. It's, and it's, it's normal. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely normal. Um, it's interesting that uh, the, uh, the word, at least in the English uh, standard version, merimna'o, um, 
for the word where you see anxious all the time or anxieties and whatnot. What do you got? In New American Standard, you got anxious? Anxious. Anxious, yeah. Um, the, the word really has to do with solitude and focus, right? So you could, you could really say, I want you to be in solitude. That's 32. The unmarried man uh, is focused about the things of the Lord and is able to please the Lord. But the married man is focused on worldly things and how to please his way. It's a focus, right? You've got less solitude to, to focus on the, on the I mean, scripture. Yeah, I mean, your interests become divided. That's the verse. Amen, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, I, I don't think anxious is a, is a good way of looking at it, but it, uh, yeah, it's there. All right, so chapter 7 apparently is uh, all of these interpersonal relationships and so on. Um, what about uh, picking up in 39 there? I mean, just, just to get some fire going here. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Almost like I said before, this was just me and not, not the Lord. But I'm, I'm even willing to bet that he would tell you the same thing kind of deal. Which to me is just <laughs> incredibly fascinating because here we have... You know, here we have a, you know, to use a Jewish one, we have a gaon of gaonim, right? Picking up into the third half. And he's saying, I might have the Holy Spirit on this, <laughs> but I might not. That's well, right. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. I love that about him because oh, yeah. he's, he's not trying to yeah. pretend that, you know, whatever. So we're good with this? No problems with this? We're good. Okay. So it'll it'd be the other one when we start getting into the divorce thing and all of that. That's about a different letter. Cool. All right. Anything else before we get to eight? Okay. Food offered to idols. So if there wasn't a chapter break here, do you get the impression that you kind of start off with chapter 7 and saying, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, yes. it's got all this stuff, yes. and then it's because of the, the way that it starts, yeah, I, so I think this, it's this the second bullet like point. it's part of it, yeah. I think it's the second bullet point, you bet. Yeah, okay. That, that kind of what, I, I hadn't seen that before until this year. I was just yeah. kind of like, oh, I guess that's They, that's they must have about two. this too, which yeah. makes sense, because they got all the idol worship going on over there. So well, it's it's really interesting to think then that they're asking him pretty halakhic type questions here, Th doing kind of questions. You know, what are we supposed to right. handle this? Not, not believing questions, right? But doing. Yeah. What do we do in this case? Like, you didn't do what you should have done in chapter five with the guy. Yeah. Here, you want to know? Here's here's what you should mm -hmm. do. The married guy should stay married. The unmarried guy. Should stay on there, kind of thing. He's, he's giving the, the lay down. And now, what about eating food to idols? What should we do? It's great that you see that. Because mm -hmm. that's hmm. makes you makes you wonder. What's next? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, bottom line, if, it, if it's all about doing, that's not what we hear normally in the in the church. But you can't do it. Well, I think, you know, it's 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 like uh, Rick Sperlick saying, what is it? Uh, it's, not what you, it's not what you say, it's what you do. It's not what you think. It's not what you think, it's what you do. 
right? So what you think your theology is is not the relevant thing here. How you act is what it is, and you know, looking at it bearing fruit and, and so forth. So, all right. So, anybody get anything there that uh, we need to be concerned about? Are you going to tell about the cow and the homie? Have, I, have you guys all My wife at dinner specifically requested that if you didn't bring it up, I ask you to bring it up. Okay. I know for sure he hasn't heard it, so bring it, brother. Bring oh, it. Oh, yeah. I don't think I have. Oh, here we so go. This, this is great. So, so this is. This, wait, this is a true story. This is a true story. <laughs> so this is, I don't know, it's probably six, seven years ago now at this point, but uh, there used to, we used to have uh, a. Uh, friends, some friends that we had met at HOI when we first moved here, and um, we used to go in together to families and we would buy a cow, have it prepared, and we'd split the meat, right? Just kind of buy in bulk and we, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? So we had done it, we had done that one year with this family, and so then it got time for the next year came around, it was time to go through that process again so uh, fill up the freezer with steak so that so the the husband says says he says hey I, I, um, I've gotten a recommendation on a new farm up in um, not Asheville but going towards Raleigh what's the Asheville 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 it's where the zoo is yeah, somewhere, somewhere. Friend of mine recommended this farm. He said, "I'm going to go up there this week and check it out." Great, check it out. So he goes up, comes back, calls me, says, "Yeah, I went up there, checked it out. Looks great. I picked out the animal. Um, so uh, animal's not quite ready for harvesting. It's a couple more months and then it'll be ready to harvest. But you know, it's going to be great." Okay, great, you know, and I said, just call me when it's time for me to come pick up the meat. So a couple months go by, you know, phone rings, and um, Bob is his name. Bob says, hey, you know, uh, I went up, picked up the meat. It's all sitting here in my freezer. Swing by, would bring a couple ice chests, and we'll divvy everything up. Great. So I, I was on the other side of town. Anyway, it was late when I, and they live out in like, way out south of, of Charlotte here. Um, and so it was kind of late when I got to his house. It was already like 8.30 or so at night. And it was dark already. And so he had already divided everything up. So he said, here's your stack of meat. Great. I just threw it in the coolers, jumped in the car, you know, another 45 minute you know, drive home. So I'm getting home about 9.30. And so Gabby is starting to put the meat out of, taking the meat out of the coolers and putting it into the freezer in our garage freezer and she and she comes into the house and she's like did you know this meat is stamped halal i was like what are you talking about she's like yeah the meat the pack the pack she says it's it's certified halal i'm like bob picked it up at some farm up in Ashburn. what are you what are you, you know? yeah and so then she shows me the packaging and i'm like yeah, certified halal, and you know, I'm like, what? So, so you got to pause a second okay. and tell the people that are listening 
who live in Gastonia who don't know what halal meat, certified halal is. Tell, tell them what it is. So halal is the Islamic equivalent, so to speak, of kosher for, you know, so if you're, if you're a Muslim, if you're a good Muslim, you're only supposed to eat meat and other food products that are marked halal. Certified halal. It's their heksher, if you will, for their faith. Okay. So my wife calls his wife, calls Bob's wife, and she, and she says, oh, yeah, yeah, that, it's, it's, it's halal meat. And so Bob gets on the phone. I'm talking to Bob. He's like, yeah. He's like, the, the, the farm. I said, where, where did you get this? You know, and he's like, oh, he's like, well, this Muslim friend of mine at work, you know, his, his family owns the farm. And I said, did you know it's marked halal? He said, well, yeah. You know, he's like, yeah, they're, they're like, they're like the largest halal meat distributor, you know, like, you know, in, fi- in like five states, oh. you know. And I'm like, really? Hmm. That's interesting. Okay, thanks. thanks. a lot. <laughs> this is like $800 worth of beef. <laughs> so my wow. first question is, uh, so now I've, now I've got a halakhic thing here, right? Sure. Because now I'm not a halal expert, right? But my first question, in, my first question was, um, and this was obviously before we were only eating, now we only eat hectured meat, you know, like, Jewish pictures, right? <laughs> at that point in time, at that point in time, at that point in time, we were only, you know, we were just eating beef, you know, and organic, preferably, whatever. But so my first concern was, I was under the assumption that halal was kosher, but my concern was, do I is is there is there is this an offer dial issue, right? So. Gabby gets on the computer and she starts doing research on halal. I grab the scripture and I I jump to 1 Corinthians 8. And I'm going through this from a halakhic perspective and saying, okay, what is Shaul's instruction here? Right. Right? And Gabby concludes that, yeah, according to my research here, they say a blessing to their God when they check or whatever their term is, yeah. the animal, right? So I actually, yeah, I've got $800 in sitting in the freezer, right? I actually came to this gentleman and to, um, and to our other uh, local Rob, right? Rob Superlock. So here's the situation. I have, I think I have a view, but I really would like some halakhic <laughs> guidance here. And long story short is... They they both basically said they got their different slightly different ways, but they both both basically said you got to take the high road, and I and I was like I agree. And and, and part of it was I wanted to demonstrate to my kids right. that here's the issue. It's you know, and at the time I was not thinking it was a kosher issue. It actually is a kosher issue. But it what? was also it's, an avoda. It's also an avoda zera, uh, idol worship, no, false no. worship issue, because of the fact that they offer this meat to their god when they go through the slaughter process. Now, it also turns out it's not slaughter. It's it's not it's not, it's not kosher. kosher. So um, it is stunned the animal. So, needless to say, we gave away eight hundred dollars worth of beef to some Christian friends, right? 
because it, my understanding of what is taught here, with my understanding of the laws for Lozera and some counsel from people I trust, can't do it. Yeah, and you know, I still remember that day when you came over to chat about it, and uh, it, to me, it was just so cool that you wanted to do the right thing, and you wanted to know what I thought was the right thing. Um, and I remember, you know, we, we talked about the whole sacrifice to idols. I mean, holy cow, you've actually got, holy cow. No, <laughs> 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 oh, man. You actually had something right out of the scriptures happening in your, and you, and, and but completely. I can, easily, I can easily have justified. Oh, absolutely. Keeping and eating the meat, so, right? Because don't you know, it's Joseph, there really it's is not no other really God. an idol. Right. There really is no other God. Come on. So how could they really sacrifice so an idol? So there really is no other God. No big then deal. There's really not an issue here. Except that if they think there's a God, then there's an issue because you're just you're correct. You're, you're or uh, you having you having a burger in front of me from that point forward <laughs> caused this brother to stumble. <laughs> oh, so they. Um, uh, for for clarification, for those who may not know, the the halal meat is is not kosher because they actually um, cut the windpipe. Right. So in effect, the animal is actually strangles or suffocates in its own blood. Right. You know, so um, we we're not allowed to eat uh, animals that are strangled. Number one, and there's no way to get the blood out of that animal if it suffocates like that and the heart stops. So if it's done properly, the, most of the blood is pumped out, and then it's hung and all that kind of stuff. So, um, which which is why, since we're slightly came up, brought this topic up as a result of this, most modern slaughter methods result in some sort of asphyxiation of the animal, um, either through cardiac arrest or, you know, or. Cutting the esophagus or whatever. So that that incident, by the way, is what caused me to go deeper into really understanding kosher slaughter, which caused me to really understand more what Acts 15 is saying. Mm -hmm. If 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 Christians really understood Acts 15, they would also not be eating you know, right. Right. the you know, the, you know, just the meat. So. I get and the, the the halal versus kosher is definitely very, very applicable with the meat, but it was just the other day, and I wanted to see if you saw this, I, I was reading some package, and it wasn't on meat at all, um, but it had both oh, yeah. on it. Okay. Derek cheeses? Yeah, okay. Um, I actually have a bag of, like, a, a bag of tortilla chips in okay. my car that has an OU certification and a okay. Yeah, well, okay, okay. But, but, because I know those are, like, not, never completely it's not mutual. a problem. <laughs> Okay. It's not a problem on other products. It's a because they're not doing that blessing. Right. Right. It's a on problem the other on meat gotcha. because they actually say a. They, that makes sense. Say a, well, they're they're killing. They're yeah. killing an animal. Right. Well, they're yeah. So, yeah. Animal. What, right. Right. What does a halal stamp look like? It actually says the word. It usually is written halal. Is that right? But, yeah. Or yeah. Like, like some simple Arabic writing or something. There's, yeah. It's like it's like kosher. There's a couple different symbols. Yeah. It stands out a little bit more yeah. because you're not really used to seeing it. But it does actually say like H A L A L. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I think I've heard that 
people that eat halal can eat kosher, but not vice versa. Yeah, a, a, a Muslim can eat hexer, uh, Jewish hexer meat, but not the other way. Yeah, right. why is that? Why would because, they be able to? Because Judaism's restrictions are they're higher. They're higher than. And they don't have an issue with the whole God thing. Uh, halal does not seem to have have the same concern. Interesting. They they kill people too. Oh. <laughs> they feel so strongly about their religion. Yeah. All right. Um, couple. Thank you, by the way. Um, couple comments. Verse eight. Food will not commend us to God. And I I just see this growing um, sense of Christians and uh, and so forth believers. Uh, that believe that it is more scripturally pure and more true to the world to come if they become vegetarian or even vegan. And yeah, I'm going to put a post on that this week because uh, it's driving me nuts. But um, just, just so you know, just give you a, just a two sentence high level guy. No offense, brother. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, I don't care if you eat vegan, if you're if you if you're vegetarian because you think it's healthy. If you think it's scripturally mandated, we'll we'll argue all day long. Right. So for the folks that believe that it would be scripturally mandated or it would be or it would commend us to God, which is exactly what the opposite of what the scripture says, there are those who would say, well, in the world to come. The lion will lie down with the lamb, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So there won't be any more killing. Animals won't be for food because animals won't be killing animals. You know, I don't know if that's true. If we're going to be like the angels in heaven, they don't even eat. So and for a thousand years, when the temple's standing, you better be eating the Pesach, which is exactly where I'm coming from. It's not only that because that's one time a year, but the fellowship peace offering is to be eaten by you with your family and shared with the priest. So I don't know about you, but I am hoping that during the millennial reign, when the master sits on the throne in Jerusalem and we've got that temple system going, I can tell you what, I'm going to be coming out of the water and Greg Upham and I are going to be bounding up those steps to get through there and I'll, make that sacrifice. I'll know of a great barbecue place. <laughs> <laughs> so, so be roasted. It, if we are hoping that the Lord will return, that he will build his temple, the third one, soon in our days, that the temple system will be re-inaugurated as we pray daily, then it would be an obligation and a privilege for us to participate in that. And certainly, if we have a fellowship meal with our master, there would be meat. There's no two ways about it. So, Sometimes I think there's a midrash that says the veggie burgers in the world to come are gonna taste like beef. There you go. So, <laughs> our, our family's already decided that we will eat meat as Messiah lays it down for us. There you yes. go, buddy. Absolutely. There it is. Yeah, and rejoice. That's, that's <laughs> what I like. 100%. There it is. Okay, so um, verse 13. This is, uh, this is you know, just another thing that uh, Greg and I have uh, taken up. Uh, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So he and I have different kosher deals when it comes to meat. 
but I'm going to do his standard, this guy, same deal, when they're coming over to eat with me, you know, and, and uh, I love the way we try and not cause anyone else to stumble. Um, fortunately, John doesn't mind if I eat meat in front of him. Of course, it hadn't happened yet because we normally have uh, carb or uh, dairy on egg anyway. So, but I think it's important that we recognize that if we truly love our brothers and sisters, then we are not going to be concerned so much about our own desires and our own wants. We're going to be concerned about them and where they're coming from. So, um, I think that's a biggie to get out of this. Okie dokie. Chapter, uh, chapter 9, before we get into this, I also think this is another bullet point. I think this is at least question number three coming from the, from the Assembly of Corinth. So um, I, I, just, I just would like to know what, 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 that would cause him to to go off the way you did. Todd, what do you got, bud? Why won't you receive our support? Mm. Why possible. won't you receive our support? Why won't you take the money we're sending you, kind of thing? Like our love offering got okay. returned. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The camel came back. The camel came back. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Return to sender. Hmm. It doesn't, I, I seem, that, doesn't seem like this motley crew would be trying to give him money, but well, it's possible they may love him to death, you know, and they wrote to him, so you know, stuff something in the letter. Um, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Um, I, I don't know if it's money. What has ha what happened to him right after he was in Antioch? Back in Acts, he goes to Antioch with Barnabas, and a whole bunch of folks get saved. What happened? Nobody remembers what happened. After what happened happened, he went to Galatia. And while he's there, the same thing happened. And then he gets all the way over there, the Thessalonica. What happened there? The same thing that happened there and there. But then, after he got up, he went to Berea. They were more noble-minded. What happened? In many of the he places. Was persecuted. He was persecuted by whom? Normally Jews. it wasn't the folks there. It was, it was Jews who showed up in the town that he was at. He was at Antioch, and the Judaizers show up. He goes to Galatia. The Judaizers show up. Then the Jews who came from Jerusalem showed up, causing trouble for him. I think just as we marched around the walls a couple of weeks ago and watched where Paul went, I get the feeling there was a little contingent of some sect from Jerusalem that was just a few days, sometimes a few hours behind him, stirring up trouble and trying to undo what he was doing. And I think those folks showed up at Corinth and said exactly the same thing. Who is this guy? Why are you listening to him? He's telling you about a false prophet. You're Gentiles anyway. How, you're, how, you can't have a place in the world to come unless you convert. 
and all the rest of the stuff that they were saying. I think that question was more along the lines of, you know, who are you? Yeah, Smooley just showed up and he was talking about your mom too. <laughs> That's what I think it is. So, maybe not. He, uh, he seems to have a little flavor in there about being an apostle as well. Maybe there was a little, little undercutting on the believing community too, since we saw in the beginning well, this guy's an Apollos, and this guy's a this guy, and this guy's a that guy, and maybe there was a group that said, you know, there's a lot of folks that are saying you're just not much enough. So that whole second paragraph there. This is also the first time in this little lessons reading, between seven, eight, and nine, that mm -hmm. I feel like he specifically quotes the Torah. And it's just such an interesting one. Well, his... Because, I mean, I... His, his quote in 9.9 is, is absolutely classic. Yeah. In fact, his quote in 9.9 is what brought Christianity and their understanding of the scriptures in line with Judaism. Judaism always believed that as you're reading the scriptures, there's an underlying message that may not be what you're literally reading. Does he really care about the ox? He didn't write this for the ox, did he? He wrote this for us. That's a very Jewish concept. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, Paul actually wrote it down, so the church gets to use that too. And that, of course, takes you into some really wild sermons from time to time. But it's good. It's interesting. All right. Have you, I mean, do we know what, what kind of like the traditional, I mean, I, I feel like I've looked this up before, but do we know what the traditional understanding of that verse is? Because Paul, like you said, uh, the church has obviously taken Paul's interpretation of that as it has to do with being paid to yeah. preach. But, um, I mean, I, I haven't looked up like what, what maybe Rashi's commentary is on that. I mean, does anybody have any thoughts? I haven't this week. My thought was he does care about the ox because yes. this says not put the muzzle on it, but it was taking it a metaphorical mean. Yeah, it was taken deep. Yeah. There's deeper reasons. Right. He truly right. does care about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but it was it was like, well yeah, don't muzzle the ox that he's in the field. And don't stop the worker yeah. from getting from what he's doing. Yeah, I haven't read that in a while. I've studied it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to speak to that. But, but so you've got homework for next week. So but just as he cares about the ox, he also cares about us too. And so we're too. You know, it's just uh, don't muzzle us at the same time either. It just kind of worked out for both situations. Well, I mean, but we also have teachings. I mean, I. We have, I think, even a Kirkham vote. Um, if my memory serves, which it might not, but I think there's some admonition there that you should, if someone is, if you have benefited from a teacher, right, or a 
mentor or you know that not only is it okay but you're really uh, you know you're 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 probably not doing what you should be doing if you don't right. bless them yeah and James says you know the elders where they build sure. and so forth so yeah clearly um, again both faiths now look for the fuller meaning of the text. Right. And, and Paul makes it clear he's not just concerned about the elders. Yeah. So, yeah. Rashi is basically saying um, Scripture is speaking here in terms of what usually occurs. One usually uses an ox for threshing grain. However, the law applies equally to any species of domestic animal, non domesticated animal, or bird, and in any area of work in the process of preparing food. And then this kind of, as almost sounds like Paul, but it says, if so, why does scripture specify an ox? And so Rashi says, to exclude man from this law, that is, if it is a human who is performing the work, his employer is permitted to muzzle him, that is, to prevent the worker from eating the produce. Nevertheless, it is a mitzvah to allow him to eat from the employer's produce. So he's applying it as well. Which, quite frankly, he does all the time. <coughs> okay. Last thing, uh, 919 to 23 is, uh, is a big deal here. Um, as far as, uh, uh, I, if you didn't get a chance to look at the uh, study guide, with regard to the world passing away, I did give you three other apostolic writers who refer exactly to the same thing as Paul, like Greg was saying, that it's very clear that uh, they all had the same understanding that the time was short. Peter's writings, as we'll get into in a couple of weeks, are very clear. He, he says it's, it's like now, like right now. James, 1 Peter, uh, 1 John. It's all, it's at hand, passing away, that kind of thing. So, look at the four groups he's talking to here. To the Jews, verse 20. To those outside the law, verse 21. The word outside, by the way, is not in the scripture. Uh, <coughs> Twenty-two to the weak. Uh, did I miss one? Oh yeah, there's uh, the second one. In, under uh, the law. Under outside 20, the law. Those under, those outside, and then to the weak. So, what? What is the difference here for exactly. for twenty and so? To the Jews and to those under the law, those outside the law. I get that to the weak. Who, who are the ones who are outside the law? Gentiles? Okay. What kind of Gentiles? Garden variety? I would say Gentiles, because to a Jew, you're, you're outside the law. You don't have to follow. You shouldn't follow. Okay. But is that the kind of Jew that's writing this? No. So what does he, who does he call outside the law? Non-believers. Okay. Non-believers who, presumably, like you said, are non-Jews. Mm -hmm. All right. So who's under the law? So I guess it would be the Jews who are also believers in Christ. 
I wouldn't say so. I mean, if you're a Jew, then you're already you're in, a Jew. You're in the first. Yeah, you're in the first category. So he's distinguishing between Jews and those who are under the law. If you're, if you're under the law, and therefore, presumably not a Jew, but under the law, okay. then that who would that, that be? That would be a proselyte. Convert, yeah. Convert to Judaism. Because you have taken on the yoke of the law. Right. Um, so it could be the proselyte, because that's a phrase. You're, you're going to be under the law. You're, 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 um, we're going to see what he writes to the Roman church, the Roman assembly soon. He says, you know, you're, you're under the law. You're going to die in, in, the, in, the, in the, the The thing that's important to understand with that is why is he, I mean, if the Torah is good, then what's the problem being under the law? And if Jews keep the Torah, are they not under the law? But he puts them in a different category. Right. So there's a whole bunch of potential possibilities yeah. here. So let's hear them. But the reason it's particularly important for a for a proselyte to you know to to Judaism quote unquote right it's because you make a public vow before God and before witnesses that says you are voluntarily going to hold this standard so now to the extent you don't it's a, it is absolutely unequivocally a sin for you if for no other reason, by virtue of the fact that you made right, a vow before God. Mm -hmm. so, so is that why the convert is judged more for breaking Torah than the actual Jew himself? Is that like the same understanding? I guess well, it's, it's if you vow something, mm -hmm. right? Rather than being born into it. So is that a difference? Like if I'm a Jew, then I, I'm by blood. Well, so, so I'm commanded. I mean, I'll... We'll use, we'll use my family as an example, right? My oldest daughter is not Jewish, right? In, in, in this context, she's not in category one because I'm not Jewish and my wife's not Jewish as far as we know, right? So my oldest daughter converted. Well, your oldest daughter married a Jew. Well, she married a Jew, right? So here's so he is a Jew under category one according to Paul's categorization. From a Jewish perspective, he has an obligation to keep the Torah because he's part of the covenant people. Period. End of statement. Now, whether he does or not is a different issue, but he's he's he should be and he's obligated to from the perspective of Jewish thinking, right? A Gentile, a non-Jew, from Jewish perspective, is never was never obligated to the covenant because they were outside the covenant. But if they are voluntarily putting themselves under the covenant, when she converts to Orthodox Judaism, she doesn't get to convert to the lowest level of observance. She's converting to the whole, the actual required observance. And has to demonstrate which is why she knows the law. Half the Jews at her Orthodox shul will drive to 
to services on Shabbat, she walks. She, they had to move within walking distance to the shul so they could walk because the halakhic standard is you don't, you don't drive. So, and she's held accountable to that because she can't convert. If she's voluntarily taking on this yoke of the Torah, she's taking on the full, the full monty of, in terms of what that means. Whereas the, the, the native Israeli who was born Jewish but grew up in a secular home, yeah, they're part of the covenant people and should be keeping the but Torah. But he gets a buy. But he, he, he gets... He gets a buy only in the sense that From the he's not making a vow publicly that he's doing this. Mm-hmm. So the question we need to show is a vow to God. Yes. M- most importantly. Right. So, that's that's the reason it matters. If it was just a vow between people, it would it might matter a little bit, but it wouldn't matter nearly as much, right? So so the question for Paul is not so much that you that it's, it's bad to put yourself under the Torah in that regard. But why would anyone do that? Other than in the case of, of your, your daughter. Because why would they do that? I'm sorry? That brings freedom. Don't give me the right answer. Give okay. me why, they're, why they did it back then. Okay. What was their reason for converting? This, the answer to this question is really important. It is. Before the master came on the, on the scene, why were they converting? For salvation, you have to be Jewish to be saved. To have a place in the world to come, and they had to convert. that is the theological problem that's that Shaul has a real issue with. And, and that's, a, that's an issue. Now, I personally don't think that... Are we clear on that one? Okay. So Jews, well, they presumably would keep, be keeping the Torah. So if he's going to be like a Jew, then he can come at them from a, a witnessing perspective as keeping the Torah. For someone who's under the law, then he can come to them as someone who has gone through this conversion process and he understands it, he's probably taught it, he's probably you know, helped people to keep it and so forth, or trained in order to do it. And he can identify with them and share the good news. Um, For those outside the law, he's obviously doing a whole lot of that as he goes through these Gentile regions and so forth. Um, Before we get into the weak one, though, I don't think that those under the law are necessarily just converts. And the reason I think that is some of the verses I put in the study guide. in both uh, his letter to the Roman group and the Galatian group, for all who have sinned without the law, that would be presumably non-Jews, will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Now, if you think that that only means Jews, I think we miss out. It could mean Jews and converts, because Jews should be under the law. But here's, here's an odd one that kind of brings it home for me out of Galatians. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Same phrase. To redeem those who were under the law so that, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now he's 
writing to non-Jews in Galatia and is putting them in that category of under the law, so the convert works. But he also mentioned that the master was born under the law, who was Jewish, and his mother was Jewish. So I think the categories of people he's talking about, definitely those under the law in this, ca in this case, it surely I think would be the convert, because he's already, he's already defined the Jew. And he, I think he's talking about how he presents the gospel, right? But I want to make it clear that throughout, he does not use under the law only for converts. And he doesn't always use law in the in reference to the Torah books of Moses either. Right, because we got like four so different things he's he using really, for law. This is why Shaul gets torqued, torqued a lot because um, you really have to really know context and historical context and. Quite frankly, you have to kind of know a little bit about Judaism and all that to have to really be able to parse what he's saying. Amen. So uh, I think uh, Tim Haig put it best uh, in one of his lengthy classes on video that he reads. Um, which I always get a kick out. If you just download the paper, you just read it yourself, but you have to do it in his voice. Otherwise, you might as well just watch the video because then he reads his paper to you. So, um, God bless him. His, his uh, understanding is that those that are under the law are those that are trusting in salvation by either keeping the works of the law, as a convert would, or by being genetically Jewish in order to have a, a place in the world to come. And anybody who's in that condition is a member of the Old Covenant. And if you're a member of the Old Covenant, you cannot be saved. Whether or not you're keeping the Torah has nothing to do with the covenant that you're a member of, or the covenant of which you are a member. Let's not dangle the part of from Mr. Mark. Okay? So once you, once you become a member of the New Covenant, we're not talking about your halakha at this point. We're talking about how you have a place in the world to come. As a member of the new covenant, you have a place in the world to come because you are trusting in the shed blood and the sacrificial work of Messiah Yeshua. Period. Done. How should you then walk? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out in this study. Does everybody get that? Do we need to talk about that at all? Is it good? Does it make sense? Right? So he's presenting the gospel to four different groups. I have actually heard from the pulpit that Paul would do anything to win someone for Christ, including pretending to be something he's not, including breaking the Torah to appear as someone who is outside the law. Is, is that the sense you get from this paragraph? Is that, is that the kind of guy that would write chapter 5 about the guy with the mom? In mother-in-law thing? Is that the kind of guy that would say, I would never want to make a brother stumble? So, what's your sense of what he is saying to us in this paragraph? In your own words.
Thank you, saying that my, my approach, the way that I approach and speak to these individuals in these four groups is different depending on where they are coming from. Cool. Their background and experience tailors my message for how I present the gospel. So his message is not, cannot be simply written down on a card and presented. It's uniquely crafted based on the experience of the hearer. I, I think he's saying that he will attempt to make a connection, okay. a relationship okay. to people in those groups based on where they're at. Right. Which is not to say that he's, he, he's becoming them, but who's the, who's the perfect example of that? Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Messiah Yeshua related to you know the 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 Sumerian woman at the well related to the tax collector related to the you know to the prostitute Even before, doesn't mean he became a tax collector or a prostitute or a Sumerian woman but yeah. right, right but even before he was that. able to make connections yeah. with people and meet them on whatever level and from whatever perspective they were coming exactly right and bring them closer to God are we all in agreement that that's where he's coming from? Great. So you can help me with the part I don't get. I get the Jew. I try to do that as often as I can. I get the person under the law, especially if it's a convert or someone who's trusting and keeping the works or something like that. I get the one outside the law. That's where I was. What's the deal with the weak? Help me understand the weak. I, I saw that little movement well, of the Well, yeah. I, I mean, so when I when I kind of read this, I was thinking like, oh, this is classic sales. Okay. So you're, you're looking for that common ground to start yeah. because, you know, in sales, you have something that you think the other person should have too. And might, will help them. And, you, and that will help them, exactly. Sure. I mean, that's always the best place to start from when you're, when you're coming from a sales perspective. And so... In a case like this, it's like, all right, where's the common ground? So I, I guess I, when I was thinking of the weak part, I was thinking like very, very empathetic and, and potentially even like, so if it was weak in their understanding or, or kind of, because he also talks about some of the weak brothers and whatnot being like the ones that are, you know, only eat vegetables, you know, and stuff like that. So he, he kind of has some, some other times when he mentions the weak. Um, and so I just was thinking like, I could totally picture him just being like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I barely get this stuff either. You know, I'm right there with you. You know, I'm, I'm uh, but, but here's one thing that was clear to me. You know, that's, I, I sort of okay. could hear that okay. coming from him, you know, just sort of downplaying perhaps his, his level of intelligence, um, downplaying his understanding and, and kind of being a little sort bit more dumb, dumb it down humble too. and more empathetic okay. to their, their place. Okay. Um, Isn't that similar to what you, we talked about last week where you kind of gave an example of when there are... Is that important? No. Oh. It's another stall. Oh. When we were talking last week, and you mentioned that in order to not call someone out, but in order to help someone, you ask for their help. Sure. Right? Sure. So that you come from a non 
threatening, offensive, non-threatening, sure, yeah, angle. non-confrontational. Okay. Exactly. And okay. I, I, I hear where you're coming I from. I think what he's saying. I think that makes sense. I, I hear where you're coming from. Is there a baby? No, it's a stall, I told you. What do you mean a stall? He said it's stalled out again, and they're going to start walking around drinking a lot of fluids, doing jumping jacks. If it were something, don't you think I'd tell you? Oh. Tell him I made Christine do lunges up and down the stairs. She did lunges today. Unbelievable. All right, I I don't know if you agree with that. I disagree with these two guys. I think it's it's great, but I disagree. You said you didn't understand before. That's right. No, I don't understand that. Well, actually... I was telling you I didn't understand the text, and I want you to help me, so I was trying to do what I did last. Okay. Scott, what do you think? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, so Romans 14. He says, as for one who is weak in faith, yes. welcome him, Yes. but do not quarrel over opinions. Right. See, that is exactly what I'm kind of saying. He's, it's like welcoming him, like, oh, I don't know, don't worry, you don't need to be like a super genius to, to kind of you know, be, be a part of what we have going on here. You know, and, and oh, don't don't worry about all that stuff that they're arguing about over there that you haven't understood. I barely understand it myself. Let's let's talk. That so kind of. I, I, I hear where you're coming from. I hear where you're coming. Still from. disagree. Yeah, you think it's you're you. It's it's like uh, dumbing. Yeah, we can find some common ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's like you're saying he, he's he's going to dumb down the message, or he's going to make them feel like they don't have to worry about not understanding, or they don't have enough knowledge, or because he's not going to say you don't have to do something. So see, I don't I don't think it has. Anything at all to do with knowledge. I think it has everything to do with halakha. Everybody he calls weak has some kind of a halakhic issue. That's the people he calls weak. The guy later on who won't eat the vegetables or won't eat meat or this and that. The halakha is what's tripping them up and he says they're weak. Those are the people that are weak. And I think what he's doing is saying, if we've got Jews that necessarily are keeping the Torah, we've got those who are under the law, which are necessarily keeping the Torah. If it were just keeping the Torah, those would be the same category. But they're not. And here, for these folks, they're weak. They believe, for whatever reason, you can't eat unless you sacrifice the meat to this piece of stone. That's a weakness in his mind. And he's going to be able to adapt his message to deal with that perspective. Not that they have to worry, don't have, you don't have to worry about whether or not you can do all these things. That We're not talking about doing anything yet because he's still got to present the fact that Yeshua is the Messiah. Right. So I think so he's, like he's theological, dealing... theological, 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 halakhic? I think he's. I, th- I think it is more of, in this case, there is no theology for the third one. Those outside the law. There's no theology there. He's going to present something completely different. And Morris Hill, he said, you know, you guys, you got a lot of gods here. This is this is good. Here's oh, here's one. Here's one that's got no name. That, that's the one I want to talk about. Okay. But I think I think the weak brother is. Or the weak, the weak one, is the one he just got finished talking about weakness. Is one that's got halakha that is restraining. They're not free. They they have to not do something in their lives, and he's going to come at them in that perspective. I understand restraining yourself, having the self control. 
I understand holding back and only doing what's appropriate and not doing what's inappropriate. I get that. And then building on that. I think it's just where he starts. I could be wrong. But it, I think it fits the context a little bit better than just... So that's, that's actually not the verse that stumps me as much as back up one verse 21 though not being without the law of God but under the law of Christ right so I'd love to get some thoughts on what's what's the distinction between the law of God and the law of Messiah I'd love I'd love to hear some thoughts on that anybody I don't know if this is right but my my thought there was because it sounds it, it, correct me if I'm wrong but it sounds like he's saying not being outside of the law of God meaning like no, that's impossible to be outside of that like there is just for a, himself no for everybody like he's, a, juxt, he's juxtaposing himself against the person to those outside the law I became as one outside the law not being outside the law not me being outside the law but under the law of Messiah they're not under the law of Messiah. He is. So he says, right, right. But, for then, one that's but, but outside, assuming that, but, okay. But, so but what I'm saying is like, exactly. So he's, he's referring to himself yes. as being under the law of Messiah, but not his outside little the law not of God. being ah, outside the okay. law of God. Right. Uh, I, I missed a comma there. Okay. Change that. Okay. <laughs> that, that, now that makes more sense. Right. So, so that, as a person meant, outside the law, I become as a person who's outside the law. But of course, I'm not, I'm not outside the law, just so we're clear. And I am under the law of Messiah, which is a different kettle of fish entirely. Yeah, there's like three laws right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Okay, right. No, because basically, I guess I was thinking, is the, could you, could you almost read it like this? To those outside the traditions like the 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 oral law, I became as one outside the oral law, not being outside of the universal moral law, not being outside of that. You know what I'm saying? Like so, almost so, like. So which one was the? So so. So you just named two. Yeah, because I, only... I was, when he says outside the law of God, when I think the law of God, I'm thinking like universal morality, like everybody, not just Paul, but like literally every human has laws that they are under, whether they even think they are or not. I guess I was just, I don't know why, but that, that phrase law of God made me think that it was a much more broad like, almost laws of nature kind of idea. I mean, the way, I, well, now that I see the comma there, yeah. the way I read that is to those who are, who, who are without the law, which by the way, in the NASB, those under the law, the L is capitalized, yeah. and then those who are without the law, the the L is not capitalized. Yeah. I don't know what the difference is in the Greek because I can't. It's all it. it's, it's it's all, it's all Greek. Greek. Oh, <laughs> but the, I guess the way I look at that is he's saying to those who are, let's just say Torah, right? Uh, I don't know if that's. It's, I'd have to dig into. It's it's always easiest to start that way in right. Scripture fits. So, right. So, so, so to those who are outside the Torah, okay. As without the Torah, although I'm not without the Torah, which of course would be the law of God. Right, but under the law of Messiah, which to me 
in the context of Shaul. So the Torah is from God, yes, right? Torah's so good. And obviously Messiah He's has nothing, con- has his, whatever law Messiah has cannot be, con- it's not contrary to the law of God, right? And everything he said so came from the Father. The distinction in my mind, as it pertains to Paul, because you're right, he is, he's talking about himself. The law of Messiah for him is the fact that Messiah commanded him specifically to be the apostle to the Goyim. So, as, so who is he talking to? People without the Torah are almost, by definition, going to be Goyim. Right, well, yeah, absolutely. Because you already got the Jews in the other so, category. So, to those without the Torah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, like without, I'm like someone without the Torah, although, just so we're clear, I do have the Torah, and I had the commandment from Messiah to do this, right. to go to these people, right? right. I guess that's kind of how I, yeah. I interpret that now. Yeah. But. Well, I guess I'm just trying to wonder then why he, it isn't the same. Because, like he says, that's the law. Wait, because, I don't know, I'm really getting ca- caught up on his, the law of God here. So, because it, it, it's theos and theos anamas. Like that, that's just this thing. It sounds like there's still two different ones. It's, as opposed to, like, it's him saying, I became as one outside of law A. By the way, I'm not outside of law A. I was thinking, like, he was saying, I, 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 I became as one outside of law A, but by the way, I'm still under law B yeah. and law C. Yeah, I'm not seeing that. No? And the reason I'm not is... Because um, why didn't he say, I became as one outside the law of God? Not that I am outside the law of God. Because he, he he adds of God to one of them. Right. To so the, why, why don't you think he, that means they're different? I think he had to he used the law of God to make a distinction between it. And Messiah, right. and, and the specific, yes. the specific Torah that Messiah gave him, which was to be the apostle to them. Because the, the word law here is, is there's only one namas is it in Greek, whereas you know you've got other words in Hebrew, so you've got an instruction. Well, there looks like there's two different Greek words. For, not for law. Yeah. Where? Yeah, right here. Which verse? Twenty one. Well, at least they're two different, whatever numbers these are. Strongs. Strongs. Yeah. Anamas is the first one, which is yeah, and no it's, law. it's one seventy seventeen seventy-two. bound to the law. It's the same law. Third one. We're looking at the third law now. Yeah. That is also anamas, and then the fourth one under Messiah is enamas. Yeah. It's all the same root. Namas. Oh. Sorry. Okay, same root. So the it's root. Same root. It's all nonos. Okay. Yeah. So it's just conjugated differently, but it's still nonos. Because they don't have but one word for law. Which is part of the issue. Yeah, because, especially later. Because in Romans. Judaism, you have Torah, you have Takanot, you have Minhagim, you have Masim, you have. There's there's these different categories of Shlikim, law. Yeah. Who are sent with specific instructions and right. missions and all that stuff. So. Well, okay. So I guess, I guess then, if, if we're going to take what you're saying as the interpretation here, then this is definitely a break in his rhythm of these things. Because he doesn't say in any other time, 
Well, no, no, even even the other ones. Jews became a Jew is like, oh, by the way, I am a Jew. You know, he doesn't say that with any of the other ones. And it became well, a one under the law. By the way, I am still under the law. And it, you know what I mean? The weak, but oh, by the way, I am strong. Like he did. Why? Why is this one so okay. different? You know. What you mean? want to? Well, I was just going to point out. He does say it in the second. To those under law, became one under law. But myself, not being myself, not under law. Though not being myself. Right. That, that was that he wasn't not being under law. Well, he's not. He's not a right. He's, he's not, not a convert. convert. Right, right, okay. Right. He didn't gotcha. say anything about being a Jew. He said he became as a Jew, even though he is a Jew. Okay. So I think yeah. in each one, there's a, there is a little he bit. Could, yes, he couldn't have said, I'm not this, in the first one, because he was. Right. Right. So right. in the second and so, the third he did, he didn't do it in the week. To the week I became weak that I might win the week, but he never says, but I'm not really weak. People could tell from his walk that he's not weak. So it could work. My translation for week says seven days. <laughs> uh, all right. Oh my gosh. We, we good? It's still a very confusing way of saying it. Well, you know. Even Peter says that uh, Paul is sometimes hard to understand. I, 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 maybe this is you know speculation on my part. Why does he insert that additional thought in verse twenty-one? Is because uh, to to someone who yeah he he's already being accused by certain groups you know in and outside of. You know, in Judaism and in believing whatever of teaching heresy, um, heresy, right? Which, if you're if if you're if you follow that thought to the extreme, you know, if you're teaching contrary to the Torah, then you're without the law, right? Mm -hmm. So I think maybe given the heightened sensitivity of his critics, and he's saying to those without the law, as without law. Let's be clear. <laughs> but just for all the knuckleheads who are going to read this, you know, a couple hundred years down the line here, let's just, you know, let's just memorialize the fact that I am not without the law of God, which is to me, it's synonymous with the Torah. Absolutely. But to your point, this is in the chapter that starts with. Who, who's asking about me? But why are you asking about me? I'm, I'm, I'm okay here. I'm do, that's how nine starts. That's why I said, what, what question did they ask him that he would start spouting off about himself and that he doesn't take any money and all of this? And now he describes himself. And to your point, he just underscores. I mean, it's that. clearly a some sort. Of, in my opinion, in my mind, it's, it was clearly some sort of question about. About the either the, his the, his character about how he's going about this, or his um, his authority or, or authority or, to do it. or just the level of kosherness. This guy is charity. So and so he's making some yeah. arguments. But. 
It's good. I, I can see why he would underscore it for that. So if you come up with some more comments on that, just bring those up next week. All right, we are out of time. This is uh, probably one of our longest classes, but you guys are doing great. Um, Scott, I'd ask you to close us in prayer, but I can't hear you over here. So, Greg, would you close us in prayer? Being Alcano, we give you praise. We thank you for today. We thank you for this class. Thank you for these men. Thank you for your word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will not pass away. Mm -hmm. So I pray that you would help us to all hide your word in our hearts, that we might not sin against you, for it is the Torah that converts the soul. And so I just uh, pray that you would be with these men as they finish out their week. Pray that um, uh, that my beloved brother Yosef Squitcherini would have a brand spanking new grandson sometime Soon in our before, days. <laughs> before the uh, uh, sun rises. And so That's I fun. pray that you would be with Juliana and uh, with Joshua and mm -hmm. uh, pray that delivery and the process and everything would go well and uh, that we would be able to rejoice with them in Messiah Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. I appreciate it.